Let's take our Bibles and go to Colossians chapter number 1. It's our third message in our Jesus First series through the book of Colossians. The first message was from the key verses that are our theme verses for the summer. And that was that the whole theme of the book, that Jesus is in first place. Last week we looked at uh, the first nine verses at the profile and the people of a Jesus-first church. And today, I'd like to look at this topic, a Jesus-first walk. A Jesus-first walk. Now, the word walk is used all throughout the Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, in fact, very early uh, in the in the Bible, you find that God came down to the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day. The day. He walked in the garden. He wanted to walk with Adam and Eve. You find uh, references to Enoch in the book of Genesis. And Enoch walked with God. You look at the lives of the patriarchs and you find examples of them literally. Abraham literally walked a very long way with God. In the children of Israel, they walked through the wilderness. And then in the New Testament, Paul speaks a lot about our walk with God. Now, obviously, you and I, I think we all understand when we say walk, what we're speaking about is the pattern of our lives. But isn't it interesting that our walk, when we think about our walk, it's not just an intellectual thing. I like that it's a physical word. It's not just mental it's not just emotional. It's not just what we know about God, but we are called into an experience with God. And we only enjoy the fullness of our relationship as we literally, physically wake up in the morning, brush our teeth, walk into the kitchen, walk to our cars, walk into our jobs, walk back home. What we do all throughout the day is we walk. And as we walk, we are to be walking with God. Now, this is addressed here in this passage. So look with me, and I need to get my place there. Colossians 1, look at verses 9 and 10, and I think you'll see this. Verse 9, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will, and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might, what are the next two words? Walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Now I want you to notice something about the structure of this passage. If you haven't caught on, and you probably wouldn't have noticed this unless I pointed it out or if you were studying it, how many sentences did we just read? Anybody know? Now you're all looking for the punctuation. Well, 
it's tricky because in the Greek, they don't have the punctuation like we have. So our translators have to look at this passage, look at the English grammar, and figure out how, where does this sentence end. So in your King James Version, this sentence, we didn't even finish it yet. This is one long sentence. It doesn't actually end until uh, verse number 17. Now, some translations, they do put, they put one extra period in the middle of it, and it ends often in verse number 12. But the point is this. In all of this, you say, well, why in the world? Who would write a sentence that long? Welcome to studying the Apostle Paul. Because this guy, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, but he wrote some incredibly long sentences. In fact, even the Apostle Peter would write in one of his epistles, yeah, you ought to, and I'm going to paraphrase, you ought to read the Apostle Paul, even though there's some pretty hard things to understand in what he's writing. And so what Paul's doing here is he's really, when you see this one, one sentence, what's happening is all of the statements that are being made are supporting one main theme. So he introduces, so let's kind of look at the structure a little bit. In verse number, this is why you should have paid attention in grammar class. Your English teachers are going to are coming back right now at you. So um, it was funny because when I was in Bible college, we had to take Greek. We had to, we had to learn Greek. And I still don't know if you pronounce it gyro or gyro. I still haven't figured that out. But we did take Greek nonetheless. One of you, two of you caught that one. However, I would, all the guys in the class, not all the guys, but a lot of them, would be like, whoa, like, this is, this is amazing. And, they, and because we had to diagram sentences and all that. And some of us paid attention in English class and were like, guys, it's there in the English too. It's just you didn't pay attention in English class, but now in Greek class, it's like a revelation to, to you. But you see what he does. He says in verse number nine, um, verse number nine transitions, and he's really excited. He's really excited that these people have come to know Christ, and he's saying there's really two main thoughts in all of these verses, and they're with, they're with the purpose statement that. He says that we're praying for you, that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will. And verse number 10, that you would what? Walk worthy. So what he's saying here is, in all of these words, he's really trying to, not trying, he's really emphasizing two points. One, I want you to know the knowledge uh, of God. And that's the that in verse number 9. That you, be, that you might be filled with the knowledge. And then in verse 10, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. And then everything he says after that is describing the life that is filled with the knowledge of the Lord, and that is walking worthy. So everything is going to support that. That is the theme, that is the thrust of what the scriptures are teaching us. So if you like to, if you like to underline or circle in your Bible to help you study and understand, I would do things like this. I would look at this, and as I wanted to break this down, I would take that phrase, that ye might be filled, and I would circle that. And then I would take that phrase in verse 10, that ye might walk worthy, and I would circle that. And then what I would do as I studied the Bible is I would underline all of the thoughts that go under that and maybe draw an arrow back to the walking worthy. Just giving you a little Bible study uh, tips here. Because what you're doing is you're understanding what the Scriptures say. 
very important that we come to the passage that you, you, I don't just pull out some random lessons, but that we actually teach what the text is teaching us. So, walk worthy. We introduced a few minutes ago this idea of walking with God. When we walk worthy, we are walking the way of Jesus. There is a certain way that Christians walk. There is a certain way that Christians live their lives. It's very interesting. Jesus said in John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now these words must have been particularly resonant with the early church. Because do you know what the name was that they used, that they referred to themselves as? They did not call themselves Christians. That wouldn't come for 30 plus years. It wasn't for 30 years before it was like, oh, these people are Christians. Let's call them Christians. They didn't refer to them as that. Sometimes they were referred to as Nazarenes because Jesus was from Nazareth. But the first name that, uh, as we've studied back and, and what researchers have told us, it seems as if the first name for Christians at the beginning was followers of the way. The way. Because they understood that the entry point to the Christian life was not something that you do. It was a person that you believe in. They understood that. But they also understood that even though the way they lived wouldn't bring them into a relationship with Jesus, they understood that once they entered into that relationship with Jesus, there was a way he was going to lead them. Do you understand what I mean? It matters the way we live. We are not just to believe in Jesus. We are to follow Jesus. We are to walk with Jesus. So maybe you're here today and you are at point number one of your Christian faith. You say, you know what, Ethan? I am saved. I have believed in Jesus Christ. Well, that's fantastic. You're just like the Colossian church. Look at verse number nine. Look at verse number nine. Verse number nine says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it. Well, if you were here last week, you know what it was Paul said we heard. He heard about their faith. He heard about their faith. But he doesn't end the epistle. He doesn't say, hey, you believed in Jesus? Great. You're going to heaven? Great. End of the book. The end. See you next time. That's not what he does. He says, now we rejoiced when we heard that, yes, you made it to the most important point number A. You have believed in Jesus. You're saved. You're a child of God. But now he says, I'm praying for you. I desire some things for you. I want you to follow the way of Jesus. I want you to walk in his steps. Our culture is filled with people who claim to believe in Jesus, but who walk no differently than anyone else in the world. Now, there's only two possibilities. If, if you say, I believe in Jesus, but you walk like everyone else in the world, there's two possibilities. 
Possibility number one, you never really did put your trust in Jesus for real. It's different to say, I believe in Jesus, than to truly have repented of your sins and put your faith in him. So if your life is no different than the world, the question you need to ask is, have I ever truly repented and put my faith in Jesus? Now, there's a second possibility. You might say, yeah, my walk really does look kind of like the world. But no, Ethan, I know. I mean, I'm positive. I understand that I'm a sinner. I put all my faith in Jesus. I know that I've trusted him. Well, maybe you have stopped at the baby stage of Christianity. The Bible talks in other places about how babies eat milk. But as they mature and as they grow, they're supposed to move on to stronger foods and be strengthened. So two possibilities. If your walk is no different than the world, either you never really became a Christian or you are a Christian, but you're not experiencing God's growth and progress in your life. Now, I cannot answer that question for you. Only you know your heart. But it's really important. I do believe there are many people that say they are Christians, but their lives show zero evidence of God's grace in their lives. And it's very concerning to say whether or not, and I don't judge any individual person, but it should be a red flag to, to say, well, I say I believe in Jesus, but nothing has changed at all in your life. That should cause you some deep examination. Now, Paul is praying, though, for true Christians. None of us are walking exactly how we should, are we? The question is, are we walking at all with God? Now, look at this statement. If you are a believer, you are called in verse number 9, in verse number 10, to walk worthy of the Lord. Is that an interesting phrase there? How many of us could truly be worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, none of us, really. But don't you think sometimes we could potentially use that as a cop-out? Well, you know, we are not, we could never be worthy of Jesus. We're just sinners. And aren't you thankful that Jesus accepts us how we are? Is what I just said untrue? It's very true. But do you think sometimes we can use that as an excuse in our lives? When God actively says to us, hey, if you've believed in Jesus, you need to walk in a way that's worthy of his holy name. Never use the grace of God and his forgiveness despite our unworthiness. Never use that as an excuse to not live in a way that pleases him. And I feel like in the grace messages of our day, and I preach about grace frequently. I'm going to mention the grace aspect of this in this message. But we can use the grace of God sometimes as an excuse for our poor behavior as Christians. Worthy is an interesting word. My understanding is that it literally means of equal weight. Put two things on the balance. How do they weigh? On the one side is the Lord Jesus Christ. On the other side is the walk of my life. Does 
Do I desire, do I behave in a way that is of equal weight to the glory and the holiness of Jesus Christ? Now again, I'm going to say no. Jesus tips the scale every single time. But it's something that we are striving for. It's something that we are moving toward. It is something that we are walking toward. To walk worthy of the holy name of Jesus. Can I ask you these questions? Did your social media scrolling this week, was it worthy of the name of Jesus? Did the words that came out of your mouth, were they worthy of the Lord Jesus? What about the entertainment you consumed? What about, listen, we live in a day and age where many Christians have no problem with certain types of drugs and alcohol. Was your relationship to those things worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, we live in a day, we live in a time where people are asking the question, well, what can I do and still be a faithful Christian? And I think we've got the, the, we've got the equation wrong. The question is not, what am I allowed to do? The question is, how can I demonstrate a life that is worthy of the name of Jesus? If you're in a relationship and you're not married, were your physical or text exchanges, were they worthy of the name of Jesus? Now, I dare not stand up here with an accusatory finger at you. Because this is a call for each of us to examine our lives. Because there are certain things I named that, that maybe I'd say, you know what, those are outward sins, and yeah, I've cleaned that area of my life, I've cleaned that area of my life, but I've been challenged recently in my heart with the way that I spoke to my children. Is it worthy of the name of Jesus? And I have to admit, it's not always. The way I dealt with my wife, was it worthy of the name of Jesus? This is what we're talking about. Walk worthy. It's interesting. The same effect would be had on me, but when you talk about a topic like this, the whole room gets kind of quiet and still. And I'm not making a joke about it. It's interesting, right? It's because it kind of hits us, right? It's like, ooh, this is part of what our gathering is supposed to be. We have joy, we have celebration, we have worship. But one of the purposes of Jesus' church is to be called into deeper holiness, for our lives to be literally changed. A Jesus-first walk. I'll show you just a few things here, and I'll, I'll do these quickly this morning. But this walk has... Five characteristics, notice on the back of your handout. When we walk with God, we walk in His will. Some of the most famous words of Jesus, hours before His death, He said, Father, not my will be done, but Thy will be done. 
when we yield our will to the Father's will, we are following the way of Jesus. We are walking the way of Jesus. Not what I want, but what Jesus wants. Look back at verse number 9 again. I know we, have, we haven't got very far this morning, right? Kayla, I keep backing you up. We keep backing up to verse number 9. But look at what it says. He says in the middle of the verse, I desire that you be filled. He says, church, Colossians, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will. What is God's will for your life? There are things that I could ask you about. There are topics that I could uh, turn our attention to. And you could give, you could talk for hours about those things. Gideon, if we were talking about baseball, he would just nail it. He would go on and on and on and on. And we would have a good time until I like zoned out because it's like overload. Or Jim Thompson, we could, if he starts talking to me about jazz music or something, he could go on a long time. Right, Mrs. Thompson? <laughs> Longer than I care. He is, uh, these guys are filled with knowledge about those things. And whatever subject matter it is, Frank could tell me about engines and motorcycles and cars, and he could talk for a long time about that. Listen, whatever the area of your life is that you are just filled with knowledge, the, the, the Lord says to us here, hey, you ought to be filled. The knowledge of your mind ought to be what is God's will? What does God want for me? What does, after all, what's the theme? Jesus when? Jesus where? Jesus first. What is God's will for my life? And you say, well, what are you talking about here? Is it, is it big questions like, as Mike and Danielle wrestled with, do, do we move? Do we, go to, do we go to California? Do we do this? Are those important questions of God's will? Of course they are. But that is not where God's will starts. A lot of people want to fast forward the God's will process. What do I mean by that? They want to arrive at life's decision. They want to arrive at life's decision and be like, okay, who do I marry, God? Well, there you go. There's my will. Oh, look at that. I pointed just to the right place. Okay? Um, so the, um, they want to arrive at a decision. What job do I take? Oh, boom, there it is. That is not how the will of God works. The Bible says this, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. The will of God is to conform us to the image of Jesus. So if you ignore Jesus for 364 days out of the year, but on that one important day, you're like, oh, I really need your will. I really need your guidance. Should you expect to find it? No. The Bible says, but seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added. Most of us come to God in desperation. We say, I want you to add all these things. I want your wisdom. I want your will. But that's a daily walk. As we walk, we shared with the men's group yesterday. In fact, our men's group, every time we meet for the next few months, we're going to be working our way through the book of James. And one of the things we looked at yesterday in James, and I was, I'm with Travis. Like The young boys, they were impressing me. They were in tune with the, with the message and in tune in prayer. It was great. But we talked about the verse in James that says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. 
We talked about that, how God gives wisdom when we ask. But we need to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Do you know something I'm really thankful for about my Christian experience all these years? I am thankful for how simple life is in Christ. You say, wait a minute. I didn't say for how easy life is in Christ. How many of you realize there's a difference between simple and easy? It's been, there have been moments that have been very difficult, but it's always been very simple. Young people, recent graduates, young adults, listen carefully. If you will start to build your life now very simply, oh, I don't know if I'm going to go there. I don't know if I want to do that. If you'll just build your life and say, you know what? I have just decided that what this book says I will follow. Boy, it simplifies things. It makes life just very, very simple. How should I... And, and please be careful about even Christian teachers who overcomplicate things. You find this very frequently in, in, um, in different realms. They, there's Christians who are experts in this area and experts in that area. The Bible is very straightforward. In the book of Colossians, there's going to be some instruction for the family. The Bible's map for the family is very simple. Didn't say it was easy, but it's very simple. You say, boy, I don't know much about, you know, I'm a young Christian adult, and I'm starting to date, and I don't know, and I don't know how I should behave with that person that I'm in a romantic relationship with. The Bible's very simple. I know God's will. Simply put, paraphrased, keep your hands to yourself. Why? Because I know the scriptural principle that says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. I'll tell you what, I was not a perfect dating Christian when I was young, but I will say this, I was afraid to disobey God's word in my dating relationship. You say, you should be afraid of things as a Christian? Yeah, you should be. Because I knew what God said. It was simple. I didn't need somebody to tell me what the Greek said. I just needed to read the book of, uh, is it Hebrews? The marriage bed is honorable and undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. That's not Old Testament, that's New Testament. Pretty simple and straightforward, wouldn't you say? Not a popular verse on a Sunday morning across America. But it's very simple. It's straightforward. There were lines I wasn't going to cross, not because I had some superhuman spiritual strength or because I was a great Christian. I just believed that God said, if you want a blessed marriage, you'll do it this way. If you do it the way of the world, go ahead. You see how that's working? Divorce, cheating, abandonment, pain, hurt. You can do it God's way or you can do it the world's way. Really simple decision for me. I'm going to do it God's way. Let's do it God's way. He says, church, there's a way that you walk, and it is in his will. Walk worthy. It's a joy, a simplicity to life. All wisdom and spiritual understanding. I don't just walk in his will, but verse number 10, I also walk in obedience. I also walk in obedience. Look what it says in verse number 10. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all what? Pleasing. 
It pleases God when we obey him. Do you believe that? Well, Ethan, I thought that because of grace, there's nothing I can do that would make God love me anymore. True or false? Not a trick question. You're like, boy, now I feel like I'm being set up. There's nothing I could do that would make God love me anymore. True or false? True. I'm accepted totally by grace. But you know what? There's nothing my children could do. This is, again, a very simple truth. There's nothing my children could do or not do to make me love them anymore or any less. But I am not always pleased with them. This is very simple. We don't have to... We, What's going on? Is there an inside joke I don't know about going on here? Huh? Gideon agrees. Okay. Um, how are you communicating across the whole room? This is, a, this is a parental relationship thing. We understand this. Don't let somebody convince you that you don't have to obey God's word because you are so accepted. You are so accepted by grace. There's nothing you could do to make God love you anymore. Of course, of course that's true. But you disobey God's word, he will not be pleased with you, Christian. He will not be happy. In fact, he will bring out his cosmic disciplinary action in your life. Because that's what he does. Because he loves us. There's a difference between love and acceptance and grace and living in a way that pleases that, that loving Heavenly Father. Our responsibility as Christians is to please God through our actions, through our lives. <laughs> Some of you, um, I, I, this, this was not in my notes, but I, somebody posted on Facebook something really funny. Um, imagine that, right? And it was something that Martin Luther read in his church in the 1500s. You're like, okay, really funny? Like, that's real theology nerd right there. Okay, so this is Wittenberg, Germany. In, it, this is Wittenberg, Germany, the announcement time in his church service. And you talk about culturally insensitive. This guy gets up and he's like, you people, all we're asking you for is four cents in the offering. And you won't even give that. And the whole thing like goes on and on and on and on. You know, that guy would be blasted all over the internet right now, you know, for like abusive, toxic leadership style, right? But you know what he was doing? He was calling people to obedience because he knew there was a blessing to obedience. It says here, walk worthy unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good what? Work. Here's what's cool. When you serve God, when you, sign up, when you sign up to make a meal on a Wednesday night, when you volunteer to, to clean a bathroom, when you volunteer to help with the kids' ministry, when you serve God through writing an encouraging note to somebody, fill in the blank, fill in the blank, fill in the blank, you are pleasing God in good works. You see, obedience is not just about what we don't do, but obedience is what we actively do. Listen, I don't think I get any special merit with God when I put in my offering, but you know what? I can be happy, I can put in my offering, I can look up and smile at God and know that he's smiling down on me. When I serve and when I'm tired on Wednesday night, how many of you came to Wednesday night church exhausted every now and then? Yeah. I mean, I came out on Wednesday night just, th this, this Wednesday, it sure is a good thing I was the preacher because I didn't want to come on Wednesday night. 
Just telling you that. It was okay for me to say that, Dad? Have you ever felt that way? Yeah. I was like, it's a good thing I'm responsible for this Bible study because it's rained all day. I worked all day. I'm exhausted. I would rather take a nap this afternoon. Okay? And I didn't come for any super spiritual reason. I wish I could tell you that. But you know what God did anyway in my life when I came that night? Like, I couldn't believe it. We had the biggest crowd of kids we'd, ever, we'd had on a Wednesday night in ages. There was an electricity in the building. People were, and you know what? I'm like, God, it's like, I'm glad I obeyed. Now, I didn't make a choice of obedience in that moment. My life has been, just been structured. My life has just been structured in a way that whether I like it or not, sometimes I'm just going to obey God. Now, that's, that sounds so like, I don't know, it's just simple. I guess that's my point. It's just simple. When I was growing up, there was never a question of where we were going to be on Sunday morning. There was never a question of what, what was going to happen when there was an important event at church. There was never a question when I, uh, when I got my birthday money if I was going to put 10% of it in the offering. Because I had a dad and a mom that just raised us to obey God. It wasn't perfect. But that simple kind of living in obedience to the word of God has brought so much joy and abundance in my life over the years. And I'm so thankful for it. So thankful for it. It's just simple obedience. So I want to encourage you. If there's an area in your life where you're just not obeying, surrender. It will be one of the greatest steps you ever took to just say, okay, God, I'm going to obey you in this area. And watch what he does. Walk in his will. Walk in obedience. And now, the grace part. Verse 11. Walk in strength. Now, what's wonderful is the word of God never, never calls us to do any of this in our own power. We do it by his grace in us. But you know how it works, though? God's grace is not going to literally pick us up off the couch. God's grace is going to fill us when we say, you know what? God, I'm going to get up off the couch. And as you take that step, as you, as you make that movement toward God, what's going to happen is his strength is going to empower you. We take that step of obedience and the grace of God fills us. It says that we will be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience. That's the word for endurance. I've got a, I've got a, uh, it might be a struggle. It might not be easy, but there is strength and power and I can endure. I can be patient and long suffering with what? Joyfulness. With joyfulness. There's a, there's a hymn that we used to sing in college. There is joy in serving Jesus as I journey on this way. You meet a Christian, you meet a Christian who is serving God, who is obedient to God, who is walking with God, not out of a heart of self-righteousness, but out of a heart of dependence on him, but is involved in the battle, is engaged in the, in the Christian life, you will find a person of joy. But you find a Christian who has turned it all around and become a consumer Christian and, and has reduced their Christian life to the benefit they receive from God and the benefit they receive from others. And you will find someone who begins to grumble, begins to complain, becomes discontent, 
and is lacking joy. Because there is joy in serving Jesus. We walk in His will. We walk in obedience. We walk in strength. Verses 12 and 13, we walk in transformation. How is this even possible? It's possible because who we are has been radically transformed. It says in verse number 12, giving thanks to the Father which hath made us meet or acceptable or appropriate to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. You see, we who were once lost, who were once without God, have been changed into people who have received an inheritance, to people who have received the blessing of God. And how did it happen? In verse number 13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. There was a day where we were held captive by the power of darkness. You say, and I heard my dad say this for years growing up in his preaching, when he, was, when he was lost, when he was without Christ, he had no problem serving alcohol. He had no problem serving worldliness. You see, we all serve something. But the problem is this, without Christ, we have no control over who we serve. We serve the powers of darkness. We serve the powers of the world. The world has a hold on us. We have no choice. We belong to the world until Jesus showed up. And when Jesus showed up on the cross, he defeated the forces of darkness. He defeated the power of sin. And he said, no, I set this prisoner free. I set this prisoner free. They belong to this kingdom, but now I translate them. I turn them into a new state. I give them a new, a new identity. I transform them from the power of darkness to the kingdom of the Son of God. We now are free to serve Jesus. We belong to the King of Kings. And we need to realize sometimes as we walk just who we are, just who we belong to. If you go out this week and you struggle with some sin or some temptation that has a hold on you, you need to speak to the devil, I don't belong to you. I belong to the king. I don't belong to you. I belong to him. Walk in strength. Walk in transformation. And it's all because of the final point in verse number 14. It is because we walk in forgiveness. We walk in forgiveness. He says this, We are translated into the kingdom of His dear Son, now verse number 14, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. As we walk, the most motivating factor the most motivating realization for me to live in a way that is worthy of Jesus first is because I have found redemption through his blood. Something we should think about when we drink from the communion cup. The blood of Jesus Christ. The price for every sin 
was the blood of Jesus. It's a wonderful price, wonderful gift, but a precious price. Do we realize this? Somebody pointed this out to me many years ago, and it stuck with me. Every time you and I choose, willfully choose, to partake in some sin as Christians, do we realize that that very sin cost the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive? We might think that it's just a, just a bad attitude. It's not that big of a deal. Jesus died. He shed his blood for our unthankfulness. He shed his blood for our vulgarity. He shed his blood to pay for our lust. He shed his blood to pay for our greed. And it cost us nothing. But it cost him everything when he redeemed us. Because of that forgiveness, I should walk worthy of the Lord Jesus. I should put him first in all that I do. You see, guys, it's not about what, how a pastor thinks you should behave, or how your parents think you should behave, or how some other Christian tells you you should behave. As we think about how should I walk this week, how should I live? The first consideration is the worthiness of Jesus. The consideration of Jesus comes first in a Jesus first walk. Are you walking with God? Are you walking with Christ? You know, I finish always with two questions. We speak about that forgiveness of sins. Remember at the beginning we said there's an entry point to the Christian life and then there's a walk that follows? Have you begun your Christian life by receiving Jesus' forgiveness? Has there been a time in your life where you were saved? Has there been a time in your life where you admitted to God that you were a sinner? You turned away from that sin and said, Jesus, I want you more than that sin. So I ask you to save me. Have you repented and put your faith in Jesus? If that has never happened, I want to encourage you to make sure today. If you're not sure, make sure today that you have begun the Christian walk. That you've received his forgiveness. Make that decision as we end. Has that happened? The second question is for people that would say, yes, that has happened. So the question to you is, how is your walk? How is our walk? Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? This is a quiet moment of the service. It's a time for each of us to be still. Time for us to reflect on the word and to respond in our hearts. If you couldn't answer the first question, you weren't sure that you've ever received Jesus as your Savior I want to invite you to do that right now. If you understand that you are a sinner, and if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, and that His payment can forgive your sins, 
right now, ask Him to save you. Tell Him that you're putting your faith in Him. Tell Him you believe in Him. You could pray something like this. You could say, Dear God, I do admit that I am a sinner. I know that I need to be saved. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose from the dead. And I ask you to save me. Jesus, please save me from my sins. The Bible says if you will call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. So would you do that right now? Would you call on the name of Jesus? Ask Him to be your Savior. Whether you're in this room or you're watching this message, wherever you are, ask Jesus to be your Savior. Put your trust in Him. Now, for those of us who have trusted Christ, messages like this are intended, scriptures like this are intended to make us examine our lives. So we're just going to have a quiet moment of self-examination right now. We're going to look in our lives. We're going to say, God, show me areas where I'm not walking worthy of you and change me today. I promise you, if you will make the most of these next few minutes, if you will seriously talk with God, maybe a husband and wife need to pray together. Maybe a mom or a dad need to pray with a child. I don't know, but, but in this moment, if you will do business with God, you will walk out of here, you will walk in a way that's pleasing to God. You have an opportunity this morning to restart your walk anew. Let's just have a quiet moment when after a few minutes, Pastor Aaron will lead us all in prayer. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. I pray that we'd be challenged, Lord, to walk in, to walk worthy of the vocation you've called us, to walk in transformation, to walk in your light. We'd be challenged each and every day to uh, seek you for victory over temptation and victory over sin in our lives. We thank you for the mercy that you've given us through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. taking the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.